1: Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Bible, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue with our study in the book of Ruth, Ruth's efforts to support her mother-in-law Naomi, earn her the respect and good favor of a landowner named Boaz. We'll pick it up in Ruth chapter 2, verse 8. Once again, that's Ruth chapter 2, verse 8.
2: Ruth chapter 2, look at verse 8. Well, then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. And let your eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged young men that they shall not touch you? And when you are a thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Now, for Boaz to speak to any gleaming woman would be a rarity. I mean, you just didn't do that. Most of these ladies were probably embarrassed to be out doing this. It's the equivalent of begging on the street. And so for you to go and approach one and talk to one would be a rarity. Again, women and men just didn't interact like this back in that culture to begin with. But he does so with Ruth either because of his friendship with Elimelech, or either because he's still interested in her, despite being that she's from Moab. Either way, the result is the same, though. He decides to show genuine kindness to someone who can't give anything back to him, who is offered nothing in return to him. Now, that's an important thing to understand about how these two, how their relationship starts. Most dating relationships, and sadly most marriages, are mutual use agreements. They're mutual use agreements. We decide to let them use us because the benefits of using them are worth the cost. Relationships begin to break down when one or both individuals decide, I don't want you using me anymore, but I still want to use you. That's where fights begin to break out. Biblical love is not like that. Biblical love is based on kindness. It's based on friendship. If you want true love... It starts with friendship. You see, friendship is something that's worth fighting for even when you don't like them very much in the moment. Right? And kindness is where a good friendship begins. And that's what Boaz is showing Ruth here. This is how the relationship starts. He shows her kindness. He says, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Which means, Will you not listen to me? I've got a proposition for you. I want to offer you something, a huge blessing. Will you not listen to me? Will you not hear me out? What is it? Well, he says, I don't want you to go and glean in another field. Neither go from hence, it means from these, from my workers, but stay here fast by my maidens. Now, I love this here because Boaz... He's one of the most upstanding members of his community. He's well-known. He's well-respected. And yet he treats this poor woman, this poor single woman, who would be one of the lowest places in society you could have, he treats her with dignity and respect. The choice is yours, Ruth, he says. I'm not going to try to bully you. I'm not going to tell you what you should do. But I do believe what I'm going to offer you will help you a ton. And listen, ladies, something you need to not buy into because I see this at times. I'll be in a counseling situation, I'm in a situation where it's a heavily abusive situation where the guy is just very controlling, very abusive. And I'll ask the ladies, How did you get involved in this relationship? Well, he was just very, he seemed like a very godly man. He was very take charge, very much a spiritual leader. Now, listen, I realize that the majority of young guys out there today are spiritual losers, all right? I get it. I get it. You're looking for a spiritual leader, you don't want a spiritual loser. I get it. But please don't false pray. For an abusive man, a controlling man, someone who tells you what to do, not someone who leads you because that's where he's following the Lord. That's what a spiritual leader does. Submission's not something taken, it's something given. And so when a guy says to me, "Well my wife wants to submit to me," I say, "Well, you might want to look in the mirror." Because from your perspective, her submission is unto the Lord. She's supposed to do it as unto the Lord anyway. But the idea is, well, how does the Lord lead? That's who you're supposed to be. That's the part you get from that. Not telling her to submit. The part you get from that is, I should be someone who's leading correctly, that she would want to submit to, that she trusts, that I put her first. So ladies, look for a man who's a good spiritual leader, not an abusive man. Biblical submission, it is there. It is there. There have been moments when I've had to have a conversation with my bride and say, listen, I need you to follow me in this. I'm trying my best, but can you follow me in this? Can you just trust me in this one? But you can't play that card unless you're really trying to follow the Lord. It says, Ruth, I don't want you to go and glean another field. It's interesting, the word here for glean, it's the same word, but it's used in the intensive Hebrew stem every other time in the book of Ruth, except this time. The idea is gleaning is hard work. The intensive stem makes it a hard thing. It's hard work. But the change in stem here implies that her gleaning would be easier if she came to the same field every day. That it wouldn't be as intense. That if you come here, I'll take care of you. I don't want you to go away from my workers. I want you to abide fast, keep close to my maidens, which would mean she would get the first pick of whatever fell. You know, these maidens would be the unmarried women in his clan who were promised to somebody, and so they would go behind the harvesters to bundle the grain. And so the poor would then go behind those women to pick up whatever they dropped. So if Ruth took Boaz's offer, she would have first pickings of whatever fell, but she would also have companionship while she worked. And then Boaz reassures her that none of his men will get on her case or harm her. Let your eyes be on the field that they do reap and go there after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch you, the word there means to strike violently. They're not going to beat you away if you're sticking around too long. And in addition to that, when you're thirsty, I want you to go drink from my vessels. Drink of what the young men are drinking. Just go and, and get what you need. Now that is far beyond what the law required of Boaz. And Ruth knows it, but she doesn't understand why. So in verse 10, it says, and she fell on her face. She bowed herself to the ground and she said unto him, why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take knowledge of me seeing I'm a stranger? Why are you being so kind to me? The word there for grace, it means acts that display fondness or compassion. What, for what reason are you having compassion on me? Why are you showing such fondness towards me that you would take knowledge of me? It means that you would acknowledge or even notice me being that I'm a foreigner. I'm not even a Jew people tolerated Ruth in Israel at this time, but no one gave her special treatment, not the positive kind at least. So why are you so different? Well, in verse 11, Boaz explains. And in explaining it to her, he pronounces an amazing blessing upon Ruth. And Boaz answered and said unto her, it has been fully showed me all that you have done unto your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother in the land of your nativity, and you are come unto a people which you knew not heretofore. The Lord recompense your work, and a full reward be given you of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you are come to trust. Now, chapter 1 showed us that when Naomi got home, Bethlehem's the kind of town that news traveled fast. When she got home, everybody's like, Naomi's back, and her husband's dead, and her... Sons are dead, you know, and it's bad. That news comes and it travels all around town fast. Well, it appears that news of Ruth's solid character traveled fast too. He says, I haven't met you, but it has been fully showed to me all that you have done to Naomi since your husband died. How you left your family, left all your security, the land of your nativity, all your comfort, all your familiarity. And you came to a people which you did not know beforehand. And so he pronounces this blessing upon her for this. He says, this is my wish for you. The Lord recompense your work. And a full reward be given you of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you are come to trust. The word recompense, it means to restore a previous preferable state. He says, Ruth, I imagine you were happy once. I imagine life was a lot better than it is now. And my prayer, my hope for you is that someday you'll experience that again. Someday that you will prosper, that things will be like they were before, and that you'll receive a a full reward from the Lord. The word there means literally wages of safety, that you'll receive the wages of safety from the Lord under whose wings you are come to trust. Now, the idea of wings, the idea of a, a tiny bird, a, it's a pictorial word, it's the idea of a tiny bird snuggling under the wings of its mother for safety, a place of security, a place of warmth, a, a good place to be. But what's interesting about this word is it's also used for when a woman finds security under the robe of her husband through marriage. See, Boaz isn't just saying here, you've trusted God and you've done such a good thing under hard circumstances, so I want to see God bless you for that. No, no, no. <laughs> Boaz is saying so much more. I want you to find the wages of safety. He's saying you came here knowing there was no hope to find a husband to take care of you. But you looked to the Lord to fill that role. You came underneath his robe, his wings. You looked for him to be your husband, for him to take care of you. Well, my hope and my prayer and my belief is that God will give you a husband and he will restore you to a place of security. And until that happens, this is how I'd like to help. Now, that attitude toward her is mind-blowing in that culture. He's single. He's a powerful man. And when he meets her, he's initially interested in her. He could just go talk to Naomi and get her for his wife. And yet, he doesn't presume that she wants that. In fact, he'll confess later in the book that he thought she'd think, He was too old for her, that she wouldn't take an interest in him like that, that she wouldn't think of him that way, that she wouldn't want that. And in addition to that, Boaz knows that someone else has the biblical right to claim her first. And so he decides, hands off, the Bible doesn't let me do that. In this, we see how 1 Corinthians 13 describes love. Because verse 5 says that love does not seek her own. Love seeks what's best for the other person, not what's best for me. And then verse 6 says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in what God says. It finds joy in doing the right thing. Now, Paul describes this type of love in Philippians chapter 2. Turn there with me if you don't mind. Because I think this is important to see. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 19 through 21. Now, Paul, at this point in time, he's in jail. He cannot come to visit the people in Philippi. He had planted that church. He had a tremendous love for them. And so in verse 19, he says, this is how I'm going to minister to you, so I'm going to reach out to you since I can't. I'm in jail. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of a good comfort when I know your state. He said, that'll be comforting to me when I know you're doing okay. But then he explains why he's saying, Timothy, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. That is a fascinating thought. A fascinating thought. He has a natural care for you. The idea here is it's a sincere love. He has a sincere love for you because the reason I'm sending him is because not everyone has that. Others seek their own. In fact, everyone else seeks their own, but not Timothy. He seeks the things which are Christ Jesus's. He seeks the things that he knows are Jesus Christ, Jesus's way of doing things, and he has an understanding of who you belong to, that you belong to the Lord. Now, Some might say, Pastor Bill, why are you talking about romantic love and Timothy and the church here? Like, what does that have to do with romantic love? Go with me for just a second. You might say, well, there's no romance in Timothy's love for God's people. All right? Well, what does the Bible say in Ephesians? When God is describing how husbands are to show love for their wives, who does he compare it to? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Don't tell me that romance doesn't have to do with this passage here. This is a description of Christ's love for us, because Timothy's recognizing the church is his bride, his bride. When people go off on the church, like on social media and stuff, they're Christians and they go off on the church, I'm just like, I don't know about you, but when someone goes off on my bride, i kind of am not happy about it. Like, I can't imagine Jesus is going, amen, that's wonderful, good job. That's his bride you're talking about. Like, for example, me and Bev could be in a fight, but if you try to intervene, you'd be critical of one of us, we're going to turn on you. I can criticize her, you can't. Because I love her. I love her with everything in me, and she's the same way with me. Jesus, he can critique us. And we can do it if we're doing it in love recognizing that you're not my bride, you're his bride. True romance does not seek its own. It realizes that that other person belongs to Jesus and you don't get to treat him however you want. This is the true romance, true biblical love. A love that demands of myself what will benefit and what will bless others. And in Boaz's situation, even if it means I miss out. That is true romance. Now, if the idea of a relationship with someone who treats you like that doesn't get your heart thumping, then all I can tell you is that you have a poor standard for what qualifies as romance. All right? If you've got the Kermit the Frog Miss Piggy idea of romance where you just run at each other in a field and you collide and who knows what happens after that because it's a Muppet show. If that's your idea of romance... Good luck with your unhappiness, because that's what you're going to have. Real love reflects what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus' love for us is the greatest romance it's ever been. He said that. He said it with his own words. In John chapter 15, verse 13, he said, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, here's Boaz. He's got money. He's well-respected. It's a time when people aren't following the word of God. If he wanted to, he could get the girl. And you know what? She'd probably be very happy. But Boaz says, that's not what God's word says. And so even if I miss out, I'm going to show you kindness. Even if it means someone else gets the girl. That's biblical love. That's real romance. That is a relationship you want to be in. So husbands and wives, if you want to create real romance in your marriage, stop making it about the money. Stop making it about the career pursuit. Stop making it about the house. Stop making it about the status. Stop making it about the perception that others have of you. Stop making it about what you're trying to make them to be to make you happy. And start putting your spouse before yourself. Because when two people commit to that, the sparks can't help but fly. They can't. Nothing else could be the end result. When two people are tripping over themselves to give themselves away and to be kind to one another, how can that not cultivate something that is beautiful and something that is special and something that is unique? Because when we do that, we invite God's Spirit into our lives. And even if you bring very little romance to the relationship, even if you bring very little heart-thumping to the relationship, he can supernaturally kindle that into a fire that can never be quenched. And that's also what Song of Solomon says. In Song of Solomon, at the very end, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, it says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, For love is strong as death, but jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which has a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be condemned. If someone said, I can tell you something that measures up to love and you had every penny that you ever could fathom and gather together, people would look at that and they'd spit on it. Can't hold a candle to real love. Can't hold a candle to true romance the way God designed it to be. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So be kind one to another if you're married. Think of ways that you can bless your spouse. I see men fail regularly in the romance category. I have, sometimes I have people sit in front of me and I'm like, why did you say yes? Because I'm like, was it always like this? And, and it's not that men fail in the romance category because they can't write poetry or they don't know how to put on and pick out a decent outfit. The reason they fail is because they don't take the time to show kindness to their spouse. They don't take the time to think ahead of time about special days or to think ahead of time about the little things you can do every day to be a blessing to your wife. Guys, That's sin. That's sin. Stop being selfish and start being your wife's best friend. Say, how do I fix that? It's real simple. Think of one way every day that you can die to yourself to bless your wife. And I promise you, if you can just start doing that, things will change in your heart. I'm not talking about things will change your marriage. Things will start changing in your heart where you'll begin to rekindle and allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart where you will love your wife like Christ loves a church. I guarantee you this, there's never a day that goes by and Jesus goes, man, I was just so busy, I completely forgot about my bride today. You think? I can promise you there's not a day that goes by like that. So why should we be different? And wives do the same. Think of one way that you can bless your husband every day and watch and see what God will do. Now, if you're not married today, if you're single, or you're dating It's not just about finding someone who treats you like this. It's about being this kind of a person. I frequently see people make their lists of who I want to marry. And I remember I was encouraged to do that as a young Christian. They said, make your list, make your list of who you want to marry. And I'm like, okay, you know, she's got to be this, got to be this, got to be this, got to be this. You know, and of course you become a pastor back then. It was like, she's got to play the piano because you need the pastor's right to play the piano. Otherwise it's just not going to work. Seriously, that was part of the list. That is not Biblical. Not biblical at all. You should make a list, but it should be who you're supposed to be. If you're not married, it's about pursuing a true, meaningful friendship based on kindness, self-denial, and godliness. It's about finding someone that you're willing to fight with because the friendship is worth fighting for. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Listen. Jesus could have very easily washed his hands and said, will is not worth the trouble. But he didn't. He put up with all my opposition to his ways to the point that we see him in his ministry on earth cry out on numerous occasions, oh, wicked generation. And yet, here's the romance. He still went to the cross to rescue me from that very wickedness. So do you realize tonight how much God loves you? his heart for you, his passion for you. Now he won't just let you get away. Listen, if you're kind of on the edge or you're not close with the Lord right now or you're not running to him like he's running to you, then stop being stubborn. Stop fighting and let him lavish his love and his blessings upon you. Run to him and stay close. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, this was no two people running in a field, colliding because they couldn't help themselves. They were overwhelmed with their feelings. No, this was you looking out and going, oh, wicked generation. What have I to do with thee? You were so different than us, Lord. You wanted what the Father wanted. You loved everybody. You wanted to give your life away. You were so different than us. There was no feeling in that sense. There was no sense of, well, I just can't help myself. No, you knew exactly what you were getting into. You knew exactly what we were, who we were, what we'd done, what we still would do. And then you went, And as the nails were being driven into your hands, you said, Father, forgive him. I don't want to be separated from him anymore. Father, forgive him. Put it on me. And then you bore all the wrath we deserve. That. Lord, thank you for that love. True love. Lord, for those of us who are married, we pray that you would help us to show that to our spouses to look for ways that, like Boaz, we can deny ourselves to show kindness to someone who may not return it to us, to be godly, even when it might be to our detriment. Then, Lord, for those who are not married, I pray to encourage them to build strong friendships, Lord. Bless, Lord, all of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.